Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Journalist Nikki Bazant and Head of Humanities at Canterbury University, Peter Field, today. Now, Chris Hipkins spent his first full day on the job as Prime Minister with business leaders in Tamaki Makoto today, getting a sense of what they want. Uh, he wanted to show that the government was open for business. He was speaking at the Auckland Chamber of Commerce this afternoon, and RNZ reporter Finn Blackwell was there. Kia ora, Finn. Now, uh, how receptive was the audience? Kia ora, Wallace. Well, all I can say is that there was a, a fervent feeling of anticipation uh, before the Prime Minister came to address media. Um, he was obviously there to meet with Simon Bridges, Chief Executive of the Auckland Business Chamber. And yeah, we were, we were waiting for a little bit as they had a meeting behind closed doors to start with, but it was, it was certainly an exciting air in, in, the, business, in the business chamber today. Who was in the room? Oh, well, he was meeting with um, CEOs from across Auckland businesses, Fonterra, uh, multiple banks, Westpac, BNZ, ANZ, um, as well as uh, people from Sky City, Auckland Airport, uh, anyone with a, a major business presence in, um, in Auckland seemed to be in that room. So what were the issues? What are the key issues that rose to the surface? Well, the main one that business leaders identified to the Prime Minister was labour shortages, something that we've heard a lot of over the past year or really since the pandemic began. Um, labour shortages leading to lack of service and more to the point, immigration settings, which came at a full and fast pace um, from media and from business leaders, seeing what will change around that, getting more skilled migrant workers in to New Zealand to help alleviate those staff shortages that so many uh, New Zealand businesses are facing. Get, a, get any sense of businesses around there? Did you stop into a business or two, a small business perhaps, to see how they're doing? As a matter of fact, we did. We went to a bakery on Karangahape Road that was saying that it wasn't so much just staff shortages that they were worried about. They were worried about skilled staff. They said that they needed, you know, they made everything from scratch there. Another one. Good cafe, that one. Oh, very much so. Um, And they needed these people to be ready with the skills to to make everything from scratch, not just rock up and have the training. So it's both a lack of of labour and a lack of skilled labour as well. All right, good on you, Finn Kiura. Thank you for that. That's uh, RNZ reporter Finn Blackwell who was there. So we talked about small business uh, quite a bit, haven't we? Let's go to a company that has grown significantly over the last few years. Malcolm Rands founded EcoStore in 1993 from small beginnings in North and now, well, it's a global brand, uh, now stocked in many countries around the world, Australia, US, China, Hong Kong, Japan. Now, and Malcolm is now behind Fairground Foundation, which is a not-for-profit charitable trust, but with us on the line is Malcolm. Kia ora. Good to have you on the panel, Malcolm. Kia great to be back with you, Wallace. Declaration of interest here. Uh, we've got a half-empty bottle of Eco Store in the RNZ kitchen. Uh, I prefer the sun... Do you want me to fill it up? Do you want me to fill it up? Is that what you're saying? No, nah, don't worry about it. I prefer the sunlight. Um, but anyway, <laughs> just joking. Let's pair, <laughs> let's pair into 2023. Economic headwinds front and centre. What are you hoping for or businesses at your level would be hoping for? Well, it's very challenging times, and, and to me, the huge with bad times is how do we keep decarbonising our businesses and succeeding at the same time? Because often when things go bad, you throw out all your good works because you're so desperate. 
And I think that could be the biggest mistake we could possibly make because basically in the future, only green businesses are going to be left standing because government will start bringing in carbon taxes. And if, you, if you're running your business on unsustainable, lazy habits, um, you're going to get a huge fight one day. So you need to start moving in that direction now and keep moving even through the hard times. Okay, so that's interesting. So as an export-led business, you'll be um, front-footing this, I guess, because you've got the likes of uh, key chains, for example, in the UK now, uh, Marks and Spencers, they, uh, they put a date, haven't they, on um, what sort of products they are going to accept in the future. That's right, and it's, it's happening right around the world. And, oh. and you know, because we're a green business, um, Ecostore is actually thriving at the moment. We're not, uh, and our problem is actually supply. And, and our problem is also, you know, the next step, how do we actually get rid of plastic, you know? How do we get rid of all waste? That's hang on, hang on. Malcolm, before we go to... Have you struck gold because you're a green business overseas? Yes. Oh, it's, it's, it's just growing and growing, you know? Like, I mean... We're not finding the, the drawbacks other people are because the demand is growing. The demand is growing. Goodness. People want it, and and they want it from Clean Green New Zealand, and um, even things. And and you can save money too because I mean, back in um, believe it or not, two thousand and six, I convinced the supermarkets to go back into having bar soaps. It almost disappeared. Everyone was going to put in wasteful liquid soaps because they made more money. And and now they've been rocketing because you can save money and and the beautiful sense and and you know you don't have to be green and and lose money you do not. Well, how about that? Let's bring in our panel. They might have have some thoughts and questions. Peter Field, you first. Well, green and green. So congratulations after thirty years, or you're coming yeah. up on thirty years. So that's pretty good. Um, I think it would have been pretty good uh, to have thought of Eco Store in 1993. You were certainly ahead of that curve. So well done. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, I was living in a permaculture eco village where I'm sitting in back now. I've had the luxury to move back to Metapori Bay. And I just, um, you know, the products had to be able to be safe to use where I lived. And that was my um, standard. So it's worked. Yeah, well, well so I think that, that for me, the key thing to understand is how much things cost. And that's such a mm. difficult thing to understand price because we spend a lot of money in our rates and our taxes taking things from purchase to landfill, to destruction, to, to taking away waste. And we should understand that that's probably or should be included in actually the cost of what we buy. So I think that's 100%. in some way the biggest thing we should do to change our habits is to understand actually how much things cost. Wow, that's interesting. There's a name for that, Malcolm, isn't there? It's not life to cycle, but it's actually incorporating the, the whole cost of product. That's right. True cost is one of the things. That's uh-huh. There's a few names for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's right. And then once you look at, um, yeah, the cost of getting it to you, the um, supply chain, and then, as you say, what happens when you throw it in the garbage or when you put your um, dishwashing liquids and down the drains and, and the council has to have a special factory just to take those nasty things out again before they discard it, whereas, you know, you know, there's all these hidden costs. Interesting. Okay, Nikki. Kia ora, Malcolm, and I'm a I'm a long time customer. Actually, if that's a declaration of interest, oh, I remember yes. I remember when you were just a like a, a catalog that I would get and order mail order wow, products. Really? Yeah. yeah. You're a ca- you're a mail order catalog. Yeah, right in the early days. I'm I'm right about that, aren't I? <laughs> 
I've been an eco store person for a long time. Anyway, um, I, it sounds to me like this has got me wondering, which I always wonder about these kinds of conversations around business. The, the way the conversation's framed often is this narrative that, that business are all against government and the government's doing a terrible job. But it sounds to me like you're actually thriving under this current government. So oh, I, I'm actually the opposite. Me and other lots, I know lots of green businessmen from there doing very well, and they're actually afraid of if National gets on because it would change the signals which won't help thrive our industries. You know, we, we need actually people to look after us because it's, it's the future. So I wonder if you've got, you must have ideas on some of the policies that you would like to see put in place to help businesses become more like your business. Well, I think, um, you know, there's wonderful business organizations out there and, and they're leading, and but most are lagging. And I hate to say I'm actually um, a bit of a fan of sort of what I call, if you do bad, get taxed for it. <laughs> you know? So if, if you're doing the wrong thing, you have to pay more tax to cover it, you know, because otherwise the rest of us are paying it for you. Hmm. I'm just so want to come... Carbon tax, yeah. it could be a sugar tax, all these sort of things, you know. You can let people do what they want, but they should be paying for what they're doing. I'm just really interested in this um, because now you are, uh, I mean, I've just looked at the stockists uh, where you're stocked and it's quite extraordinary The and also in a fairly short time scale. This is um, becoming a global brand now. What would you say to other small businesses that listen to this and go, well, I didn't know this, that if you could go green, you could actually turn a profit, you could actually make a buck. What advice would you have for those who are wanting to embark, scaling up, if you like? Persistence, I hate to say. <laughs> Just keep going. There's so many in business, there's so many ways to get knocked back. I mean, it's not easy to go into business. I mean, and I always have so much admiration to people who, who, who make it. But you just have to keep going. Just put your head down and just keep going and have a real purpose. Know where you're going, and and mainly just a team around you is. I mean, it's all about people. And and I think for all business, whether eco or not at the moment, it's looking after your team at the moment is going to be the number one thing to do. You know, and we're going into hard times and. Maybe give them a pay rise because times are getting harder. Okay, this Wallace, is what do I we got time for one more question? Of course you do, Peter. Oh, that's great. So, Malcolm, let me ask you the tough one. So where are you finding the toughest nut to crack? Clearly, mm. you're trying to stay profitable, which is crucial to employ people, and you're trying to be greener and conserve. What's the toughest thing for you at the moment or in the future to deal with? I think it's the one I mentioned because it is really hard, particularly when your products are in supermarkets, how you get away from plastic. Because plastic is insidious, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a cut. It's yeah, it's, to me, that is that. I mean, we do have refill stations now. We do all sorts of things, right. but it's going to be a huge one for a lot of FMC businesses to move away from plastic. Hmm. Mal Malcolm, okay. pleasure to have you on and um, good on you. I might even change from sunlight to eco, eco store one day. Um, but um, it's, <laughs> it's always a pleasure, Malcolm. One at a time. <laughs> All right, that's Malcolm Rands. He founded Eco Store there um, from small beginnings and now it is hugely profitable. Uh, Malcolm says on the back of being a green brand 
internationally. 18 past four, the panel on RNZ National with new data showing New Zealanders' living costs will keep rising. The pressure on homeowners will continue to grow. The New Zealand Herald had profiled a family who bought their $1.2 million Nelson home in 2021 with a $1 million dollar loan so four grand in repayments will now be go around ooh, 6,700 they cannot afford it not everyone is in that boat by the way in fact the average mortgage I think is around $250,000 but the issue was raised well why don't we have 30 year fixed rate mortgages like they do in the United States with us is financial paramedic an islander, Jeff Royal, that's what he calls himself, and he is on the panel. Jeff, kia ora. <laughs> kia ora to you. <laughs> Financial paramedic, that's a title and a half. <laughs> now, 30-year fixed, imagine that, Jeff. We're shaking our head here. <laughs> that would be so amazing. <laughs> I had one. Um, well, well, yeah. You shortly, Peter, Jeff. Mm, um, I think it'd be most people's worst nightmare, to be honest. Because um, although it may fix your loan payments, we wouldn't have no idea in New Zealand as to how to price that, unlike in the States where they've been doing it for a very long time. And, of course, the market over there is probably 50 times the size that it is here. OK, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't be applicable to the New Zealand market. I mean, anybody in New Zealand offering anything close to that? No. Um, uh, I've been in New Zealand since 2006, um, and my first mortgage with ASB was at 9.25%. So uh, mortgage rates today are probably not far off that. Um, and, I, and I think a valid comment is for the last few years, we've seen interest rates artificially low. So that's partly driven, obviously, by COVID and all that. And people who bought... You know, with a with a with a mortgage rate of two point two five or two point five percent, unless they had their head in the sands, uh, they cannot have believed that that would be the new norm. Yeah, all right, Peter. Yeah, I'm completely with him. Who wouldn't have thought that that rates might go up? Um, and they've gone up for everyone. Um, yeah, I had a 30-year fixed mortgage. I, I had bought a house in the states, and there's some great peace of mind in it. It, it allows you to plan and to understand essentially what you'll be paying toward your most yes. important asset. And and that's great. Uh, on the other hand, the United States really is the outlier. A 30-year mortgage is not what you find in most places in the world. So it, right. it would be unusual. And if you're like a small – if New Zealand is sufficiently small, it has to borrow money. And that means it has to go to money markets abroad. And those fluctuate. So the 30-year mortgage is well-nigh impossible. Uh, my friend at, at J.B. Ware, uh, he tells me that uh, – uh, just not a, not fit for purpose for New Zealand. I, I would agree. And it's interesting, having worked in the UK, Australia and, and here, um, the, the appetite for fixed rate mortgages in New Zealand is generally for short term. Um, in Australia, it's actually more going to the floating rate. But, but here, people normally fix, I would say, the average is probably every two years. Um, and I tend to support that because it, it allows people to revisit their loan uh, frequently. Is it still fit for purpose? Have the circumstances changed? It gives you a lot of flexibility, um, whereas in a long-term fixed rate, so five years or more, uh, and even here most of the banks will offer five years, but yeah. 
I, I can't remember um, uh, doing five-year fixed rates, certainly the last right. couple of years. Um, people still prefer, you know, a couple of years, let's review. Yes. Um, have we had an income change, up or down? Have we had circumstances change? Um, it allows people to reset and make the loan fit for purpose. All right, Nikki, you'd, you'd be. Uh, is this is this a subject that applies to you? Uh, very much applies to me as a as a mortgage holder. I'm curious, actually, and Jeff, you might be able to answer this because you know when you take out a mortgage, they, we are told, aren't we, that that we are stress tested, that that they don't look at your budget on what you are being charged at the moment, but they stress test you on a higher rate, that, and assuming that the mortgage is going to go up. Are we in a situation now where that is not fit for purpose anymore, like that's just mm. gone out the window, or what's the, how are people in the situation now where they can't afford to pay the mortgage when they could two years ago? Okay, um, right, several questions there. Um, so the first one is the reason uh, lenders hear stress test is that we work on affordability calculators. So the way a bank will look at a loan is, let's say the floating rate is 6%, they will generally stress the loan as if the floating rate is 8%. So there's a fair margin in there that if rates increase, that you can actually still afford your loan. Mm. Um, Stress tests uh, 18 months ago would have been around 6%. They're probably up at around 8 and a quarter at the moment. Um, And that may well uh, go up. The only other way that a lender could um, stress test, if you like, a mortgage, and and it's something that I know the Reserve Bank's looking at, um, is what's called DTIs, debt-to-income ratios. Um, So in the UK, um, if you're a single person wanting to go and buy a property, it's, it's, it's three and a half times your income. That's it. No leeway, no negotiation. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, whereas here we tend to have a much more flexible, you know, people are individuals. Some people have uh, a frugal lifestyle and some people have a very flamboyant lifestyle. So the, in my view, the affordability calculator is a far more real application as to people's individual circumstances than like a one-size-fits-all. Okay. Jeff? It's lovely to have you on. Gosh, I could talk to you more, actually, but uh, we're going to come back to this issue, aren't we, uh, time and time again. But for now, Jeff, we've had a bit of response on this. Um, nice to have you on uh, the panel here on RNZ. Well, thank you for the invitation and I look forward to the next one. Very good. That's uh, financial paramedic, as he calls himself, at Islander. Uh, we had a government house line 1971 for 30 years. Wallace, in 1975, my wife and I paid off her parents' 30-year fixed 3% mortgage about three years before its term ended. Okay. Another one here. We had a 25-year housing corp mortgage at 3.5% back in 1972. You are on the panel with a journalist Nikki Bazant and uh, Peter Field from Canterbury University and switching topics completely, something a little bit different. A colleague who was a pioneer in some ways, what are we talking about? E-rollerblading. Not heard about it, nor me. You might think rollerblading, oh, how very 90s. But this electric rollerblading is another level. Very few pairs in the country, but our next guest has a pair, very sadly, has had a crash. He's oozing injuries. With us is Troy from Analytics. Troy. 
Kia ora, Wallace. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me along. Look, how are you? Because you don't look good. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm on the mend. Yeah, just gravel rash, gravel yeah. rash. Yeah. How's your arm? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's healed quite nicely. Uh, another day or two and yeah. I'll be able to move it. What do we have when we strip it back? We have a, a 52-year-old who has been skating all his life. Why? Um, well, I got into it in the 90s, um, and to me it's sort of like uh, a moving meditation. And I think uh, there's a really good doco on YouTube uh, that New York Times put out with a guy uh, who is like a doctor and um, completely threw in his job and decided to skate because that just brought him so much joy. I think it's called Slow Mo. It's got about a million views. E-rollerblading. Mm. You're one of the very few people in the country to have this contraption. What is it? Well, yeah, I mean, I was uh, battling on my blades uh, coming into work one day up the uh, Upper Queen Street, sort of Dominion Road area in Auckland, and a guy shot past me on his bike and said, well, why don't they have electric ones? And I thought, oh, yeah, maybe they do. And I uh, just Googled it, looked it up, and, yeah, there is. There, there's there's um, um, a brand out there called eSend. They've been around for about six months. Pretty um, prototype. Uh, a little bit clunky, but look at. it's the beginning. I yeah. think that, you know, uh, give it another two or three generations and these things will be around. Nikki. Uh, <laughs> By the way, the photo is on the website. It's look, it looks, it look, can I be honest, it looks very Marty McFly. It looks very, you know, you are part of the future, Troy. In the same way, the retro future. Yeah, yeah. You could say back to the yeah. past <laughs> future. <laughs> Nikki Bizant. Um, I'm just Googling because I haven't seen the, the picture of it. And I actually did say to Wallace before you came in, Troy, is this for real? <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if you, a, if you were trolling us on the panel here. This is real. Yeah. yeah. And actually, when I, when I um, did my research uh, before I bought these, there's a, a skating influencer, a guy called Sideswipe. Uh, on YouTube, who um, who test ran them, and um, he stacked it straight away as well. So it takes a bit. Of Do they go a lot faster than the regular? Can you go much faster? Is that the deal? Um, you can, well, you can sort of get up a few hills, which is a major advantage over regular um, rollerblades. Um, they they go about twenty five to thirty k's. Uh, what? They, they top out actually at twenty five, but if you're going down the hill, you can get up to thirty. That's oh my fun. goodness so that's me! Like okay. a scooter. This is a whole other level. Of da- Before we go, to, actually, no, let's bring Peter Field in. Are you interested in this? We've heard about surfing. Wow. Are you interested in e-blading? No, Peter? I did think about that. I thought we should have asked Benny if he's an electric surfboarder, just yeah. just in case. But maybe that doesn't work <laughs> quite as well. Uh, no, I have to be careful where I go with this, Wallace. But uh, human error can come in. You don't need electricity necessarily to have a fall. I think you know about this. Yes. So the electricity so. itself is is not always the issue. No, no, it's I always guess, risky and dangerous. I guess my issue, Troy, is. Are we over-engineering our lives? Yeah. Why mm. do you need electric rollerblades? Yeah, why, yeah. Why, why do you need yeah, them? Yeah, um, uh, to me, it's just a way of flattening out Auckland. Yeah. Uh, but I get your point because I do I mean, for goodness sake, is it, time, and... is it time for you to just simply walk? <laughs> <laughs> Who's got time to walk these days? It sounds quite efficient. I think I would fall off them standing still, personally. But, um, I mean, I'd love to see them in action. They're amazing. They're just amazing. Yeah, I think I think they're not for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, but... So where to from here for e-blading for you? Oh, uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll just... 
I just have to you know, refine my technique. Mm. And um, the main difference is having the little remote. So there's a remote. Yeah, that's how you accelerate. So there's a, a, a Bluetooth remote that you hold in your hand, and that um, links through to the battery and the uh, little motor. And it's also got a brake, and you can go backwards. Wow. You can go backwards at 25 k's an hour. Okay, so this is dangerous. I haven't tried this. This is really dangerous stuff. I mean, if you fell off in your first few goes, what does it say about other people who are going to be trying in Auckland uh, e-blading? Yeah, I should probably practice at home first. All the best, Troy. Troy from Analytics there, uh, who has graciously (laughs) given us his time to explain. Now, a few people are interested. it's on our website, rnz.co.nz forward slash the panel. Very good, Troy. Kia ora. Uh, you're on the panel with me, Wallace Chapman. It is time for headlines.